This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on sportstalksc.com, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome in Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. You're heading home, and we're heading to work. It's funny, you know, you're, you're leaving town, we're heading into town. It's just how it works uh, here on Sports Talk, and we hope you had a great day doing what you do, and we're going to have a great time doing what we do here on Sports Talk for the next couple of hours, talking about what's coming up, the football games, the new uh, college football ranking for the championship, the one that came out last night, and your thoughts on that. We have got SC Wild tonight coming your way at uh, 7.30, Major Billy Downer. Ellis Johnson tonight for Chalk Talk as Coach Chuck Reedy is in France. He's on one of those, uh, I don't know, honeymoon getaway sort of things. He didn't just get married. Maybe it's the second or third honeymoon, whatever the case may be. Uh, He's over there in France having a good time. Uh, I don't know if it's anniversary. I mean, look, he, uh, he and Debbie, they just take off and go. Good for them. It's Baylor money. I tell him it's Baylor money. <laughs> he still got the largesse in the bank from uh, being asked to to leave Baylor. I tell you, it's a great life, isn't it? If you can just if you can just convince people that you can coach a major college football team for two or three years, you know, get yourself a great con- uh, contract. Have Jimmy Sexton put you up against another one of his clients. I mean, what a ripoff Jimmy Sexton is, um, and how he plays these athletic directors for fools. Uh, and their their various uh, search companies play them for fools one against the other. I mean, just think about Auburn. They're paying what thirty six million dollars between. Uh, well, they're paying Harson thirty six million dollars to go away, right? And they're still paying um, what's his face who was there uh, prior to him, um, Malzahn. Gus Malzahn still paying to him, coach right? UCF. And, and the point is, <laughs> the next guy they hire, they're going to have to pay more than they were paying Harson. I mean, if they Say they make a run at Lane Kiffin. If, if, you know, if it's an established head coach, they're going to have to pay him more than what um, they were paying the guy they just got rid of. It's a, it's a, uh, and a guy like Sexton, and I don't know if it's Sexton handling all these guys or not, but he's the one that you think about whenever this comes up. I mean, he's the guy in the middle uh, spinning the dice here, you know, and, and his guys are on both sides of the dice. And so whether it comes up this guy or that guy, uh, he's going to play them against each other, and he's going to drive the price up. And these these ads and schools are so hungry to get that next guy who they think is going to be the guy. Uh, they will pay through the roof. They will pay through the roof. That's why you do admire well both Dabo Sweeney and Shane Beamer. To be quite mm-hmm. honest with yeah. you, because when they took their first contracts, they were lowballed by Clemson and South Carolina respectively, and they were okay with it. Uh, Sweeney was like, you know, pay me what you're going to pay me. You'll pay me later when we're winning. And you know what? They're, they're paying him now. And Beamer was the same way. You know, the story was when he took the job that Sexton said, don't take that contract. You know, let, let me let me try and uh, squeeze some more or whatever. And he said, no, um, I'll take what it is right now, and uh, and we'll go with that. I'm happy with that. He didn't try and play Ray Tanner 
and 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 increase the buy or increase the the take. So kudos to him for that. But anyway, that's what you got going on right now as these coaching jobs begin to uh, begin to open up. It's good to have. Now why uh, isn't Phil that that's the way all athletic directors should look at things? Go for a guy like Shane Beamer, like Dabo Sweeney, who wanted the job. They were more interested in the job than they were their next paycheck. And obviously, I mean, Dabo is the blueprint for success of an unknown coach. I mean, he's obviously a, a dime a dozen because, well, excuse me, he is the exception, not the rule, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you, you see all these guys and all these hires that we think at, at first blush are outstanding hires, and they've turned to be disastrous. I mean, Brian Harson was never a fit at Auburn, never cu- quite understood that move. Uh, Tom Herman, of course, was in the mix at South Carolina. That didn't work out, and I think the Gamecocks are probably thankful it didn't. I mean, think of any hot name you can think of at this point in time. Those coaches normally don't work out as more times than they actually do. You're right. And I mean, look, in the case of Sweeney and Beamer, you had two guys who were hungry for their first head coaching job. So they were willing to take the low ball offer because they were just looking to get in the door and have an opportunity to run their own program. Now, you know, you you go after a Kiffin who's a proven commodity like, you know, he's mentioned for the Auburn job or you go after uh, Urban Meyer, let's say, an established coach. Uh, now, look, I'll say South Carolina. Also, with Spurrier, they got him at a cut-rate price as well, you know, back when he took the job because he wanted to get back into college coaching. He didn't really need the money with his big – he had a huge umbrella golden parachute from the Redskins. He didn't need the money. And so he gave South Carolina a financial break and really kept his salary uh, pretty low, as I recall, as things went on. He wanted more to go to his assistant coaches. Um, and so, it really, South Carolina has uh, – now, with Muschamp, you know, they paid through the nose for Muschamp, and that was their own fault in that they, mm-hmm. you know, they got so excited after year two that they gave him this, this mega contract. Was he worth it after one year? That's part of the problem with some athletic directors. One good year, and you feel like you've got to, you know, back up, uh, back up the Brinks truck to, the, to this coach and give him this crazy deal – because you're just afraid he's going to be uh, swooped away by somebody else. And then when it goes bad, you're stuck with that deal. And you have the huge buyout, and you have the huge contract to pay off. In the case of Muschamp, it turned out to be about, what, $13 million at the end of the day? So, And Jimmy Sexton's in the middle of almost all of this. So he's the guy that's really, you know, <laughs> he's the guy that's really coming away smelling like a rose, uh, along with the, the coaches involved as well. Anyway, Bergy, I was going to say it's great to have you with us unfortunately last night issues on this end not your end on this end prevented you from uh, being with us so i'm glad you're back with us tonight before we dive into things uh, real quick your thoughts on the the first ranking that came out last night clemson sitting there at number four tennessee sitting there at number one uh georgia and ohio state there in the middle uh alabama at six uh of course things are going to be happening you got alabama lsu coming up you got georgia tennessee coming up you got ohio state michigan coming up um your thoughts on what they did with the uh, the ranking of the committee? I don't have a problem with it at all. I think those are probably the four best teams at this point in time. Now, I can, I've heard plenty of people saying Michigan should be four and Clemson should be five. All right, fine. You can make that argument. But the, the funny thing to me about this, Phil, is this is much worse than any argument we ever have about the Associated Press poll because that's just window dressing now. College football playoff rankings actually do have some merit to them as the season unfolds, but it always works itself out, doesn't it? 
we sit here and predict Armageddon is going to happen come the first weekend in December, and it never, ever does because Michigan and Ohio State will, will cancel one another out more than likely. If Clemson runs the table, they're in. Whether they were fifth or fourth, it doesn't really matter. Tennessee, Georgia are probably going to work themselves out along with whomever comes out of the West and wins the SEC. So I, I don't quite understand the national fervor and everybody getting so upset that Clemson's fourth and Michigan's fifth. How dare they? Clemson's not as good as TCU. You know, the whole nine yards. I just, I think it, it's so overblown, the first CFP rankings. But it, it shows how much we just, you know, we love college football because it gives us something to gnaw on and talk about for another week, which is exactly what ESPN wants. Yeah. i tell you one thing that bothers me, uh, and you're right, it, it's great for the conversation. we got to have the conversation. Whenever we stop talking about college football, then that won't be a good thing. You know, the conversation day-to-day, week-to-week is what drives college football. Uh, But, you know, I was reading some of the comments from the uh, committee chairman who is the uh, AD at NC State. Uh, So what does he know about football? Um, But anyway. (laughs) They can't win without his quarterback. I think he probably knows that. No, but the thing that got me, and this is not supposed to be, I mean, are these the sort of things that they talk about in the committee room? One thing he said he was asked about in the press conference afterwards last night <clears throat> about you know, LSU being at number 10. And, and one of his comments was, well, uh, the committee, we really think that the quarterback and Brian Kelly are meshing well together. And in watching you know, tape of them, uh, we see them really improving and, and coming along, and, and we think you know they deserve to be ten because of the uh, even though they have two losses, they're the highest ranked team with two losses. They deserve to be ten because of who they've beaten, and we just see the quarterback and the coach really coming together. And I'm like, what? You're, that's that's what you're looking at when you're talking about ranking uh, ranking teams. I will tell you what they're doing here, though. I'm telling you, I, I could be wrong, but. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if there are three SEC teams in the playoffs. They've absolutely positioned that league for that opportunity. Well, well think about this. Wizard. Think about this. Okay. So you got Georgia, Tennessee, you got Alabama at six, but Alabama's going to play LSU, which is now 10. Okay. So if Alabama mm-hmm. beats LSU, well, now we've got the argument where, well, they beat number 10. Right. So that's bonus points for them. So they, you know, they move up. And then. You know, they're sitting there. Let's say they win the West with one loss. They're going to play in the SEC championship game. And then here we go again with the with the revolving door of Georgia, Tennessee, Tennessee, Georgia. You know, loser of that game does not play in the SEC championship game, but might still benefit by winning the rest of their games. So let's say, you know, let's say Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee has beaten Alabama by a field goal. Georgia beats Tennessee by a field goal and then goes and plays Alabama and loses by a field goal. All right, you got three one-loss teams all losing by a field goal to a great team uh, ranked uh, in the top uh, six of the this first ranking. Of course, things could change between now and the next couple of rankings. But you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way, I mean, the subject, the subjectivity that apparently is applied here when we're talking about how quarterbacks and, and coaches are meshing, if that's the kind of stuff that's coming into play um, – I could see that happening. And do you think America would be upset considering what each of those three teams has done the rest of the season except when they've played each other? Oh, I'm sure. I I think the only people that really want three SEC teams, gosh, much less two in in the mix, 
is the SEC office and SEC fans because the rest of the nation is so sick and tired of seeing the same four teams and especially two of them that always come from one conference. I would imagine it will continue to get to a point where people are just, I'm not watching it anymore because I'm tired of this. If the argument is the four best teams in the country, and if the four best teams in the country are always the same four best teams, (laughs) I mean, I I get your point. I get your point. Pat, what do you think? Corn, I'll take what you were just saying a step further. So this weekend, LSU is now positioned to play and potentially beat a top 10 opponent in LSU on the road. Well, look who they have waiting on deck next week, also on the road. Currently ranked number 11, Ole Miss, who Mm -hmm. is off this week. Alabama beats LSU. Well, what's going to happen? Ole Miss is going to take their spot in the top 10. So now Alabama will have back-to-back road (laughs) victories against the top 10 to add to their resume at the end of the season. And if potentially their only loss is to a number one ranked uh, Tennessee, they were number six, I believe, at the time, but uh, currently number one ranked team, well, how how do you not put Alabama in there, especially if they then go on and win the championship, to your point? And that may – they are positioning themselves well to have three teams. Another step further, something that, with what you were just saying, made me perk up, the committee is viewing – LSU's loss to Florida State as a good loss. So the the committee does not look at the ACC as a strong conference. They hold that against, now they didn't hold that against Clemson. Clemson's in the top four, but against some other ACC teams who were not ranked as high in this first college football playoff ranking. Yet they're considering that loss against Florida State a, 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 good, a good loss? I don't, I don't I think they ignored their two losses, Pat. I really do. I don't, I don't think they looked, and, and judging by what Phil said they were chatting about last night during the uh, committee meeting about uh, looking at the meshing on the offensive side of the coin, I'm not sure they realize LSU does have two losses. I don't hmm. think it mattered hmm. to them. But think about this. Let's say Clemson goes and beats Notre Dame, but it's a relatively tight ball game. They go and beat Notre Dame. But you look at Clemson and people say their body of work. Well, okay. Look what's happened to NC State. Now, I know that they're without their quarterback, but, you know, they've gone downhill. Look what's happened to Syracuse. You know, they just got beat by Notre Dame at home after losing to Clemson. Going downhill. Wake Forest just had uh, an ugly loss to Louisville, a bad football team. And this just, I think, drives more the argument about the ACC and the fact that uh, what I'm leading up to here is if Alabama does what Alabama might do and, and Clemson continues to win, don't be shocked if Alabama doesn't jump Clemson in in one of the rankings here down the stretch if they keep oh, going up. Uh, now, you're going to have to deal again. Somebody's going to lose Georgia-Tennessee before we get to the championship game. Obviously, they play each other. So somebody's going to be losing there. And then the one that doesn't lose could be beaten when it comes to the championship game. So there could be some losses to be handed out there. But I'll guarantee you one thing. I guarantee you one thing. The undefeated team between Tennessee and Georgia that plays in the championship game against, let's just say it's Alabama. Now, if Alabama loses one of these other games and it's somebody else and all bets are off, okay, I'm just rolling with the argument it'll be Alabama. You'll have two SEC teams. Those two teams oh, in the championship game will go to the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, right? I think everybody without agrees the, yeah. the winner-loser, unless it's Alabama losing. If Alabama loses – with two losses. If Alabama wins the SEC championship and the other team has one loss, both those teams will go to the playoffs, which means now you're looking at um, the third SEC team. You're looking at an undefeated team from the Big Ten and or a one-loss team at the Big Ten and an undefeated Clemson and possibly an undefeated TCU. 
Um, so, and that's where Pat's argument is so is so spot on about LSU because there have never been a team with two losses to get into the college football playoff. So them bu- helping buoy sort of Alabama's strength of schedule, but it also could come back to bite Alabama in the backside because they've got two extremely tough games that they've got to play the next two weeks. If they navigate through this week and next week, they're in the playoffs. I mean, Auburn's not going to give them anything. And, of course, they've got, what, an FCS game before the Iron Bowl. So, I mean, I, I don't think it matters what they do in the SEC title game, but then you run into that point, Phil, about are we going to let a two-loss team into the playoffs? No, no, no. How no, much do you no. value Alabama? I don't, I don't know why you put LSU at number 10 except for the very reason that we're talking about mm-hmm. here to make yep. that uh, Alabama game look all that more important when they play mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. So, all right, uh, phone number 888-898-2525. We're at the Dave & Buster studio here in Columbia. Eat, drink, play, catch all these big games coming up. This weekend, all season long, the World Series game tonight as the Phillies try to put their boot on the throat of the Astros and mash it down and break their um, break their larynx <laughs> and everything else that's in there. Uh, catch all Are you the breaking games. Breaking out all Larry Munson quotes. Yeah, put the uh, hob not hob, hob hobnail boot hobnail boot on their throats and yeah. broke their nose. Yeah. Anyway, catch all the big games at Dave and Buster's in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. And, of course, our number, 888 That's the lottery hotline. Since 2002, more than $4.2 billion in lottery proceeds have been used to fund scholarships and grants for South Carolina students. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash educationwins. Playing for fun is a win for education. I was in downtown Columbia today. I was walking in my car. No, no, walking in my car. And this lady uh, pulls up and she says, uh, can you tell me where the lottery office is? Oh. She says, uh, I said, well, I, was, I was in between Maine and Assembly. And I said, well, it's right over here on Assembly Street. She said, she gave me the address. And she says, is it on this side or that side? I said, it's on the other side of Assembly Street right over there. She says, okay, thanks. I said, uh, how much did you win? She said, I don't know. I'm going to find out. Wow. <laughs> I said, can I go with you? <laughs> and take a little commission since I, go I told with you, you where the office since is. Since I helped you get there, can I go one with point, you? $1.2 billion tonight for the Powerball. Man, that's that's good money. I would not be at work tomorrow, that's, by the way. If you don't I show might up, that's not what show up for the Appalachian game tomorrow night. <laughs> Let's go to Charles and Duncan. First up tonight here on Sports Talk. And Charlie, welcome in. How are you? Good to have you with us. I'm doing good. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you having me in. Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to just bring up a thing, and I just, just I know it's going to be a little bit controversial, but that's okay. Um, I was listening to uh, ESPN last night and talking and the talking heads over there. And one of the guys, uh, AJ McCarron, he's one of their their analysts, so they have on their program. And I, I tend to I tended to kind of agree with his take, but he basically was uh, outlining uh, the fact that he thought Clemson really, really is, is, is vastly overrated. And the reason he made that argument, basically, is he said, uh, if you look at the SEC West, just alone the SEC West, he said he would not pick Clemson to beat any of those teams uh, that, are, that are in the SEC West, uh, specifically like LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, or Mississippi State. The only team mm. he thought they would have a chance against would be Auburn and Texas A&M. And based on that, he, he, he basically said they were a fringe top 15 type team. And, and I tend to agree with some of those, those sentiments, but wanted to get your take on that and 
and I enjoy the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that's a bit of a stretch to say they wouldn't beat Mississippi State or Arkansas. They'd certainly beat those. I mean, they'd, they'd, they'd have a battle with Alabama. They'd have a battle with LSU. They'd have a battle with Ole Miss because those are quality teams. That's what everybody teams. Yeah. yeah, I mean, LSU's a team that's coming on. And I said at the beginning in talking about LSU, I thought their, their quarterback, when I saw them play Florida State, I said, man, that Daniels guy's pretty good. I mean, he's he's really a sharp quarterback, and they got Butte, the outstanding receiver. Mm-hmm. And, and it took a, a little while for Brian Kelly's way to sort of um, – kind of settle them in there, but um, they're starting to feel it down there at LSU. They're starting to feel it. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. So, I mean, I think Clemson could play because of their great defense and their ability on offense to do some big things. I mean, we know their offense has sputtered here and there, but they also are capable of busting a big play on you. Uangulale is definitely capable of hitting the big ball. He's capable of, of breaking a run. Shipley's capable of going 60 yards on you. Antonio Williams is capable of taking back a, a kickoff or a punt or, or, or breaking a, a catch-and-go. So I think Clemson could probably uh, hang with those other uh, teams and possibly beat them. I wouldn't discount them from the get. I'd give them a chance. Is there any other undefeated team in the country that gets criticized as much as they do? Clemson? Yes. Mm, nah, not really. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're in the ACC. That's still, they just can't – That's the national media, that's just how they look. And I guess mm-hmm. we do – do we give them as much credit as maybe they deserve? Because we're here we watching things more, around the I ACC. We, I, I mean, I had a hard time believing – I had a hard time believing that, uh, you know, Wake Forest was a top-10 team. I mean, I know they had a good run. They got a good quarterback. But would they would they handle – could they play with Tennessee? Could they play with Alabama? Could they play with Georgia? Could they – they did play with Clemson. I mean, took mm-hmm. them to oh, took yeah. them to overtime. overtime. Syracuse did play with Clemson. You know, maybe these are indicators. Maybe this is what they're talking about. They're seeing Clemson having to struggle with these other ACC teams. I mean, all three of those wins, State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, were all tight ball games. You know, maybe they're thinking as the SEC teams would blow each of those teams out. All right, we go to um, Keith and Camden. Preach to me, preacher. How how you doing this evening? I, I tell you what, Phil. <laughs> I uh, Chuck Reedy uh, in France. I don't remember where he went last year, but I just decided on the way home I'd stop by and buy me a two dollar ticket. I may be in France Friday with. Him, so. <laughs> Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Oh, I know where you're going. No, with no. This. I just got a text message. No, seriously, I kid you not. From Chuck. He says, call me if you need me with two smiley faces. I will be available, may be drunk. <laughs> so we will have well, him on from France. There might be a little bit of a delay. That'll be great. Yeah, we'll have him on. I would love it. I would love it. Like someone said to me, you surely, Pastor, you're not buying a $2 ticket. I said, yeah. And I imagine that most churches would take that 10%. (laughs) (laughs) I'd take your 10%. I know. We got to laugh. Take seven muscles to uh, smile and 38 to frown. So, um, look, I listened to Satterfield's show this evening, Mm -hmm. comments. Mm -hmm. I'm tickled to death that Beamer makes these guys available. And uh, the downside of that is, you know, we call in and complain about what they're saying, but 
I tell you, what he's saying versus what he's doing on Saturday, they just no, they just don't match up. I, I don't get it. Yeah. So. Uh, talk about that a little bit tonight. Well, we'll I mean, do it right now. In today? fact, I was there. I was there. And, and well, you were there. I yeah. heard you. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was there. And then yeah. thank you so much. And uh, go use those seven muscles and, and smile. And, yeah, there you go. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at these numbers. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, if I do hit it, I promise you, I'll be at the station Monday mm-hmm. for all you guys, Chris, Pat, all of them. I've tried that. I've, I've tried. I've told, <laughs> I, I've told the man above. If you'll just let me win this, I'll share it a million dollars. Anybody on the street, I'll give them a million dollars. As long as I get to keep the other 300 million, you know. But in this case, it's the billions. All right. Thank you very much. Y'all have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. I just read a story last night about the uh, divorced wife of uh, Bezos. She's a big philanthropic person. She just gave someplace $11 million. Only left her with about $38 billion in her account. Be back in a moment. We're back on Sports Talk here on this uh, Wednesday night. Busy, busy show for you in a moment. Chalk Talk. Chuck Reedy and Ellis Johnson coming your way. And 7.30, another edition of SC Wild tonight with the major, Billy Downer. Also, we'll hear some of what Marcus Satterfield had to say today. And College of uh, Coastal Carolina. How about that for a new name? College of Coastal Carolina. (laughs) Coastal Carolina. Not sure Matt Hogue is going to approve that on the athletic side. College of Coastal Carolina University. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, they got a big one tomorrow night against Appalachian State. We'll be there for that uh, tomorrow night. So we got all that uh, coming your way here on Sports Talk. But right now, we do have the coaches ready. Okay. We head over to Gay Paris in France where it's 1136. And Coach Chuck Reedy, I don't know what kind of shape he's in. But he's joining us after a long day of doing whatever they're doing in France. Coach, how are you? Welcome in. Hey, Phil. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, you I'm s- doing good. Thanks. Sound good. Coach Ellis Johnson sitting over there in um, his bungalow in um, uh, wherever he is, over in the, uh, in the Shandon area of Columbia, wherever he's low. Coach, how are you? I'm doing fine, Phil. <laughs> good to have you with us. No uh, exotic traveling for you this week? Well, I, I wrote to Greenville, South Carolina. I went back up to Chapin and ate breakfast with Les Herod. Uh, that's about as exotic as I enjoy traveling. <laughs> that's great. That is great. <laughs> Chuck, what took you over to France? You know, we're just we're just doing a little traveling, and uh, actually, we're 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 doing French in Italian Riviera, and we're actually uh, in Portofino. Uh, Italy. But anyway, we'll be uh, going. Oh, excuse me. Anyway. Excuse me. I didn't mean you were. I didn't mean you were slumming in Paris or over in, on the uh, no, resort in Italy. Okay, I got you. We're, we're just, you know, we're, we're just trying to, you know, 
trying to uh, do do some things while we can. All right. Anyway. Uh, before we start, Chuck, I always uh, think of you whenever the high school league uh, punishes a school. So uh, did you keep up with what happened with the Ridgeview situation here with the, the high school league? Well, I, I just I haven't really kept up with it. I saw that they may, you know, may kick them out of the playoffs for whatever the case may be. Not even go into that, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> you've... you've You've had your dance with the high school league before, I know. But you know what? What what came out of your situation was the creation of that second level of appeal, that appellate board. But in this case, that didn't help Ridgeview. The appellate board, you know, agreed with the high school league ruling anyway. So, all right, let's get to uh, the football teams of South Carolina, Clemson. Ellis, let me ask you here first. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say all Gamecock fans. Some Gamecock fans have been – uh, raining down their fury on uh, Marcus Satterfield over the performance of the offense. And, you know, uh, being a coordinator as you were so many years, along with being a head coach, being a coordinator as well, I mean, how do you deal with that when you're catching the brunt of the, the public criticism? You know, the head coach, I guess, is trying to do the best he can to deflect in a lot of ways, but it's, it's raining down on you anyway. How do you stay focused and confident with what you're doing? Well, I mean, it comes with the territory, and I think, you know, those guys understand that. So it's not like something where you all of a sudden panic because the fan base or the media is mad at you. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a real clear opinion of whether I think he's doing a great job or not. I think, you know, the average fan wants to say it's play calling, it's play calling, it's play calling. They run the same plays other people do. Hmm. Uh, but it does look like sometimes they're not being executed well. So then you go back and say, well, why? Well, you, you pick a play or you put it in your plan or you put it in your base offense, you go out and practice it. You're either doing it well or you're not. If you're not, you shouldn't call it on a game. Uh, but you go to the game, and if it doesn't work, everybody says, well, we don't set things up. You can't set things up when you're not having successful plays and making first downs. You know, a, a play action comes off of a successful run, and a draw comes off of a – a team that has to bring pressure or, or can't get to the quarterback or is harassing the quarterback, et cetera. You know, it's, it's just you, you don't know whether to blame the talent level, the play, but I see, I see plays that everybody else runs. So I just don't see that it's some ingenious play calling or some stupid play calling. I think that's typical fan-based stuff. And uh, is it good? No. They've been having good all year. They beat Texas A&M without a good offensive shoulder. And, and, you know, they've been living off the kicking game and turnovers, and they didn't get any turnovers this time, and they didn't get any special team events. Yeah, you're exactly right. You nailed it there. Chuck, I think the, one of the biggest gripes from the Gamecock fans you are griping out loud is Jaheim Bell. And now, you know, is Jaheim Bell the difference maker for South Carolina? Would he turn it around? Um, he got no touches in the ball game. You ever had a game where – uh, does it happen where a key guy like that, and you're the play caller, can it happen where a key guy like that doesn't get a lot of snaps for whatever reason and, and doesn't get a touch? I mean, is that does that rest on the shoulders of the play caller to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, it, it rests on the shoulders of the guy that's running the offense. And... Our cell tower in Italy is not uh... – is not cooperating with us. 
Chuck, okay. you still there? Are you still there, Chuck? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're kind of going in and out on us. Okay. See if you can uh, come up from the beach maybe and find a mountaintop or something. <laughs> uh, okay. There you can go. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Much better. Okay. Anyway, no. The, the thing that, that I don't understand, and, and, I mean, I, and, and I don't know Mark Sattler, he's a smart guy. You know, it, 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 it's always been you know, that the players don't seem to understand what's going on. You know, you can be the smartest coach in the world. You can have the greatest plans and all that. Don't understand, and they can't execute the plan. Then it's too complicated. And, you know, and that's what I see. And, um, you know, Jaheim Bell, I I hear all this stuff about uh, personnel groupings. That's a bunch of crap. I mean, you put your best players on the field and you give them an opportunity to execute the plays. I mean, uh, we we got personnel groupings based on what we think the defense is going to be trying to get matched. You know, matchups are getting the best players out there and letting them execute the plays. I, I just, I think, Phil, that it's, you know, they're just, uh, what they're trying to do is just too complicated. Make it simple enough that the players can understand it, they can go out there and play. Chalk Talk tonight here on Sports Talk, chatting with Chuck Reedy and Ellis Johnson. And uh, Coach Johnson has much criticism, and deservedly so, for an offense that generated just over 200 yards. The defense had its share in that loss against Missouri, too. And in the first half alone, the uh, Tigers had drives of 96, 84, and 75 yards for scores. I get it. It's physically demanding to play that many plays against another team. But how much is that mentally draining on a defense to not be able to get off the field and watch a team go 96 yards and then 84 yards? yards on you, and then again, 75 yards on you. Well, when you play an SEC opponent, you can have it. And I, I don't think in those particular aspects is something to, to say, well, that's what lost the ball game or that's what put us in a hole. But I'll tell you, the difference in the Texas A&M game and the Missouri game, not the difference, but a huge difference, is that Carolina came out with a burst, touchdown kickoff returns, some good stops, and they kept the crowd in it. And Missouri came out and, and in the same situation, they quieted the crowd because they had successful drives against them, and Carolina's offense was going three and outs, not getting first downs. So it, it kind of works off of each other. I still think that defensively they're not playing bad, but again, they didn't get a turnover. Uh, you know, they gave up 367 yards, and frankly, in today's football, that's not that bad. And they're having to play too many snaps too soon. The, the, the change of possession is going like just too short. They've got to somehow start sustaining some drives on offense. And uh, so I, I'm not totally critical of defense. I, I don't think they played as well as they have uh, in some other games. Uh, but other than that, I, I, you know, I just don't feel like it was something that you can go in and say, well, this is awful, this is terrible. Missouri's had some sexual plays against a lot of people. Uh, their quarterback statistics are not that bad. They started off extremely bad early in the season. But, but lately, they've been pretty good. And you know, the games they've lost lately were Auburn, Georgia, and Florida. And Florida was on the road. And, and you know, they were competitive in every one. One was a touchdown, one was four points, the other was an overtime. So they're not a terrible football team. I just think maybe South Carolina fans thought 
that we were somewhere where we're not yet. Yeah, I think they looked at this situation. I mean, I certainly did, Ellis and Chuck, and I saw the Gamecocks at five and two and coming off a pretty decent win over Texas A and M and had beaten Kentucky a four game winning streak and you got these guys at home and you're favored and it's homecoming and it's a sellout and you got everything going your way. But I Ellis, I just didn't see the intensity. I'm not gonna say effort. They played with great intensity against Texas A and M, like they really brought it. I'm not so could could you see that? Am I making something that's not something to be made of? I, I just didn't see the intensity uh, against Missouri that they had against. And I thought the offensive line did a pretty good job against A and M, but took a, a kind of a step back against Missouri. Well, possibly, but sometimes it's the fact you know who they're playing against. But I, it's hard to say they didn't play with intensity, but they play with effort. I did not see a lack of effort. I thought again. Not to repeat, but the, the ball game emotionally was hyped up so much with the first five or six minutes against Texas A&M. The players fed off of it. The crowd fed off of it. You know, and, and Texas A&M, let's face it, they've got some talent, but they're not executing well in a lot of areas right now. They are not a good football team. They got beat at home this week again. Uh, so I just think that maybe they did some good things on offense in Missouri. I think maybe, you know, people weren't expecting them to be that good. They've got some good players, and I think Drinkwitz is, is really good at, at scheming and setting things up and doing things that his, his offense can be successful against what you're running. I don't think they ran any bad defensive calls. They just didn't – they weren't able to uh, stop them at critical times. But I didn't see a lack of effort. I just saw Missouri come out a little bit crisper, executing a little better, playing a little faster, playing with confidence. South Carolina lost a little confidence early in that game, and it just started to kind of kind of roll on. I just hmm. didn't ever respond. Chuck, uh, what did you think of the first ranking by the playoff committee, especially uh, having Clemson sitting there at number four? What did you, you think of the body of work of the committee this time? Well, I was a little bit surprised that they were ahead of Michigan. Um, you know, I thought Michigan, uh, especially – the Penn State has gotten beat a couple times now, but you know, they had a really good win against them. But anyway, you know, it, it's all going to play itself out. Obviously, Georgia is going to play, and Michigan and Ohio State are going to play. Clemson said in a good position. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, there's some, you know, obviously there's some thoughts about TC too. Yeah, they. I think they're seventh. I think that's right. Um, you know, they may have been a little bit, should have been a little bit higher, but um, it it's it's a starting point. We'll see what happens from here. Yeah, you're right. They are seventh behind Alabama, Michigan, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee. Ellis, could you see a scenario where three SEC teams make the playoffs if Alabama? goes undefeated the rest of the way, gets to the championship, plays a one-loss Tennessee or Georgia in the championship. The loser of the Tennessee-Georgia game wins out the regular season to finish 11-1, and and then the Alabama-Tennessee or Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game, let's say Alabama wins, so you got a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Tennessee, a one-loss Georgia, especially if they're all down-to-the-wire, field goal, 
kind of victories. You got those three teams all with one loss, all by field goals, all to each other. Would they take all three? I'm glad you're not on that committee. They'd never get anything done. (laughs) (laughs) But I hate to admit it, Phil, but the scenario you just painted has probably got like a 5% chance of happening. Mm -hmm. But it would be hard for me not to put all three of them in. When I look at them right now, I think – I think those three teams right now are as good as anybody in the country on a given day. Now, Ohio State and Michigan, I think, are playing better than Clemson right now. And I will chuck. I don't understand how Clemson got that ranking. But I, I really think the committee sometimes, I know they're supposed to just kind of put them in order the way you really think, but I think they saw these matchups coming down the road, and they're going to let the Tennessee-Georgia game and the SEC game, championship game, and they're going to let the Michigan-Ohio State game they're going to let all those games take care of business for them. Uh, my biggest concern, Clemson better be ready to play at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, is, I think they're 4-1 and or 5-1 and one over their last six games. They started off, you know, like a Halloween show. But all of a sudden now, they're not playing bad at all. They're putting up points, and they've got to go on the road and play them at night. Uh, Chuck, uh, what did you think about what I just talked about and – do you think the committee put LSU with two losses at number 10, knowing they're playing Alabama this weekend in Baton Rouge, and that should Alabama win that game, they can make the argument, hey, just beat a top 10 team on the road ranked in the championship rankings. I mean, that's just another big feather in Alabama's cap if you want to make that argument. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what you're saying – Certainly is plausible, but you know, there, there's no way that they're going to take three one loss teams ahead of undefeated Clemson or an undefeated ECU. You know, I, I just don't. I don't. You know, obviously, Oklahoma State of Michigan. One of those are going to be and if they continue to win, uh, and there's probably going to be two undefeated teams. You know, I don't know how that's going to play out. But, you know, you're not keep an undefeated Clemson out. I, I just see that happening, especially with them starting off at, at number four in the ranking. Guys, as always, it's been great. Uh, Chuck, what's been your uh, favorite wine on this trip so far? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's all been good. I don't think it's coming out, but it's all good. I mean, are you a, are you a connoisseur? No, I just like wine. I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not a connoisseur. I just like all of it. It's red wine. It's all real good over here. I bet. Will you have a safe trip? Hey Chuck, oh, go ahead, Ellis. Chuck, I'm having a uh, Chuck. I'm having a glass of yellowtail cabernet. I doubt if that's what the doctor ordered over there. <laughs> Well, at least it's not Mad Dog 2020, Ellis. That's more of what I expected. It, it's close. It's very close. And it's all about price. Hey, it's I'm with good. you. It's I'm with good. you. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Be safe over there, Chuck. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Nellis, you be safe around Columbia. <laughs> I can't believe that that was the question you asked him. He's on the French Riviera and getting an opportunity to see some of the uh, most gorgeous uh, coastline around the world and your question is what wine has he enjoyed quit talking about the women over there in france 
Oh, you said Come coastline. On, I thought you said coastline, waistline. Yes. I thought you no, said waist. Coastline. Oh, you said coastline. Coastline. Yeah. Right, we got to go to a break because we're getting tight. <laughs> Speaking of tight, that's what Chuck is. No, I don't know if he's had a couple of glasses already or not. But we thank him for being with us. That is dedication all the way. He's actually no in Italy. He said he's in Italy yeah. over there. Portofino. Oh, you know that area. You've been there? No, I have never been to Italy. I have been to France, but I've never been to oh, Italy. excuse me. Okay. Would like to. I'm like Chuck. I've been to Irmo before. I've, I've been to Irmo. Going to hit the break, and uh, we shall return in a moment. We're with Major Billy Downer of DNR. Of course, hunting is very popular across the state of South Carolina, Major Downer. What things should our hunters be thinking about before they get out in the fields? It seems like every other show we're talking about hunting safety of some sort. Whether it's turkey season or deer season, hunters always need to be aware of the target. Make sure before you pull that trigger that you know what you're looking at. Whether it's a turkey during turkey season or a deer during deer season, you know your identifying features of your game. You know what's beyond that target in case you miss. Learn more about the great outdoors in South Carolina with Major Billy Downer on SC Wild here on the Sports Talk Media Network. If an insurance company is there to sell you insurance, shouldn't it also be there to service it with real people? At Farm Bureau Insurance, we're here to help with experienced agents ready to provide personal service when you need it most. Call today for your free no-obligation review for auto, home, and life insurance that's custom-tailored just for you. Whether it's home, auto, or life insurance, Buddy Bridges and Farm Bureau Insurance have the right policy for you. Call Buddy today in Lawrence County at 864-923-2174. South Carolina Farm Bureau Mutual Insurance Company, Southern Farm Bureau Casualty Insurance Company, Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, Jackson, Mississippi. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games. Sit from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's, where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions plated for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at secattle.org. Beef. It's What's for Dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program. Show your team pride wherever you go with Founders Federal Credit Union's Collegiate Debit Cards. Get your University of South Carolina and Clemson University debit cards at any Founders office or by calling 1-800-845-1614. Plus, our debit cards are digital wallet ready, so you can pay however you please. Not a member? Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hey, this is Major Billy Downer with DNR, and coming up tonight at 7.30, another edition of SC Wild 
on the Sports Talk Radio Network. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. I love sports, and I've helped people for over 30 years. Contact me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com when the insurance company won't pay your claim or you have complicated issues. Some other business causes your business to lose money? Jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. When you lose a relative and find out you got cut out of a will or don't get what was promised. When you have serious injury, like from a wreck or mishap or on the job. Jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Think big, life-changing. I'm talking education, inventive, next-level education. Wake up. For 20 years, education has received billions in funding. Where, you ask? (laughs) Right here, across our state, in your own backyard. Who has done this? Well, if you've ever played the lottery, that would be you. Thank you. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. We are back at Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. We only got a minute. You want to squeeze in Gamecock Larry? No? Yeah, real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Gamecock Larry, if you could spit it out in 60 seconds. Go ahead, please. Well, I just got something to say. I listened to Coach Beamer yesterday and I heard the same old thing. Got to coach better. Got to play better. Got to put our best players on the field. If that assistant coach on on the sideline with you, if he can't help you coach better, if he can't help you put uh, your best players on the field so they can play better, you don't need him. Then this afternoon I heard Satterfield say, we are early in the process, early in the process. Well, I just, I mean, I hate to say it, but I got to say it. We don't need that kind of coaching. We need an offensive coordinator. We have lost almost two years of Gamecock football. All right, we we got to hit the break, sir. Be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, we're back, everybody. Good to have you with us. I uh, hope that you enjoyed listening to Chalk Talk with Coach Reedy, Coach Johnson. Normally Mike Morgan at this point, but Morgan is uh, on the move. He's doing... Some Mac football tonight. You've seen him on TV tonight, Chris? Looks sharp. Got a, a checkerboard design for his uh, sport coat, blue and black. Mm. Uh, silver tie with little black stripes in it and a purple pocket square. So uh, Mike always is uh, well-dressed, and he followed suit again tonight. And unfortunately for him, there are only about 100 people at the game to see him. <laughs> Debonair. <laughs> Not a big crowd. Well, he doesn't care about who's in the crowd. All he cares about is the eyeballs looking at the, at the screen, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He doesn't care. doesn't care. Um, all right, uh, phone number 888-898-2525. couple of quick things. Breaking story here late this afternoon. Pete Themmel of Espen Gonzaga, their AD, met with the Big 12 commissioner last week about the Zags joining the Big 12. Sources told ESPN 
The discussions are part of the possibility of the move of the basketball powerhouse leaving West Coast Conference for a power conference. I wonder why you would do that. I mean, I guess the TV money, but I mean, you're already mm-hmm. in a great spot to win your league, get in the tournament. You're a nationally ranked. You're not a mid-major. You're a major-major. You're a Final Four contender. Why would you do that? It's if a you're great Gonzaga? question. I guess I mean, it must be the TV money deal. It really is. And from what I understand, they are not hurting for money with regards to that basketball program. But if they move into the Big 12, ACC, you can give up being uh, bragging about being the best basketball conference in the country because that will now belong to the Big 12. Yes. I mean, that league already is, is probably the better of the two leagues. But you add Gonzaga into the mix, good grief. Talking about Kansas and Baylor and Texas Tech, and these are three teams that the last, uh, the first two I mentioned have won national championships the last two years, and, and the other one lost in overtime to Virginia. And you put Gonzaga, who's always a Final Four contender, uh, contender, not to mention West Virginia and some of the other teams in that league. Good grief, Phil! I, that'll be a gauntlet to go through. And, Guys, and like, not only did Kansas uh, give uh, Bill Self, the head coach, assistant coach Curtis Townsend. A slap on the wrist. They slapped him with wet noodles today. I mean, seriously. If you don't think that Bill Self and the assistant coach didn't know what the guy from Adidas was doing with the players they were dealing with, and I've really got some oceanfront property in Topeka I'd like to show you. Um, I'm surprised, though, it was a four-game suspension and not three because that does mean he's going to miss the game with Duke. Does it, but, you know, in college basketball, it seriously, doesn't matter. Right. it doesn't matter. No. When your head coach is Regular there in, in November yeah. or December, I mean, seriously, you talk about a meaningless. And they took, you know, they're self imposing other things. They're restricting, ooh, they're restricting some official visits. They're cutting some visits. I mean, great day in the morning. Do you think that has any impact <laughs> on Kansas or any school like that when it comes to recruiting and NIL and everything else that is in play to get players? This is the most meaningless bunch of crap in punishing a coach and an assistant coach that you could ever dream up. But everybody just accepts it and rolls with it. Oh, this is just great. No, man, it's getting slapped with a wet noodle is what it is. Um, but if, if it had been, uh, let's just say, you know, let me three, if it had been Prairie View A&M and they had given a football player <laughs> a, an extra shoelace, it'd be three years of probation and $10,000 fine or something like that. You Brad know. Brownell and Lamont Paris would have been, had, uh, you know, show calls yeah. attached to their Yeah, I mean, seriously, yeah. seriously. Um, okay, so, uh, yes, Pat. I just can't believe right now you guys left out one of the biggest details of this Gonzaga, possibly to the Big 12 scenario. You forgot about the mighty Gonzaga Bulldogs football team. Now, they haven't played in 81 years since 1941, <laughs> mm. but they have an overall record of 134-99-20 with one bowl appearance back in 1922. And Corn, their most notable alumni was running back Tony Canadeo, who played from 1919 – wait – Oh, I'm sorry. He's he lived from 1919 <laughs> to 2003 uh, from Chicago, and he played in the NFL for your Green Bay Packers from Woo-hoo! 1941 to 1952, and was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1974. Hey, if Erskine can bring back football, Phil, why can't Gonzaga? Really, uh, USC men's basketball playing their exhibition against Mars Hill, seven to four, the first media timeout, according to David Kloniger of the Post and Courier. "Quote light crowd." End quote at the CLA tonight. Oh, really? You expected more? Sad. Um, all right, let me um, – uh, let's well, get back to the phones. Clemson, oh. Clemson also tonight playing. 
And they're up 10-6 on Benedict in their exhibition. Oh, okay. I thought that was – that's tonight. I was thinking it was tomorrow yes, night, but it is tonight. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. Let's go to um, Philip in Charleston. Hey there. I want to call you Phil. Do you go by Phil or Philip? I go by Philip. One L or two? Uh, two L's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I only got one. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm actually uh, – a little out of Charleston, but I um, just wanted to uh, – I'm a Clemson fan. Uh, I'm not a bad Clemson fan. Hmm. But I would just um, – with with everything going on and people, all the people talking, but we played, you know, some SEC teams. But I, I, I kind of think we proved ourselves, and, and there's old saying that a lot of people has always said is uh we seem to get it done and and I haven't heard that. So that was just my um my thought and I won't take up y'all's time and I'll sit back and listen. Well thank First you. First time caller too. Thank you, Philip with two L's. You are not taking up our time. Our time is for you. I mean we Yes, sir. Thank yes, you. I hope no, you'll call I, again. Thank you. So what part of uh, you're outside of Charleston, where are you exactly? Well, I'm more towards saying tee up around the lakes. Nice. Oh, gators. Yes. yes. You, yeah. see, you see any big well. gator? You see any big gators <laughs> no, in there? We, we see them all the time. Yes, sir, we do. And uh, mm. we live with them and they live with us. So, mm. um, yep. Scary. We, yeah, but. Scary, scary. I do. And my, hey, I, my, I got my family split in half. Um, Carolina fan, and I pull for Carolina, and I do not pull for them to lose. But I have a brother that <laughs> that is a Carolina fan, and um, he, uh, yes, yes, sir, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I understand. Hey, thanks for calling, and please call again. Yes, sir, I will. Thank you. Good hearing from you. Yeah, I mean, look, Clemson's got some notable wins, and they um, – you know, the only SEC team they're playing this year is South Carolina, but they have a good winning streak against SEC teams over the last several years. And, and they've earned the right to, you know, sort of get an exception out off the blocks. Now, they still need to go prove it the rest of the way. But over the years, this is a team that's always been in the mix for the college football playoff. And uh, especially as it's sort of stayed at the four teams, I think it's gotten more and more difficult once you start getting in there regularly to get you out of there. And so I think Clemson does get the benefit of the doubt, at least right off the bat. Now, we'll mm-hmm. see. You know, if they lose to Notre Dame, they're going to be in big trouble, I think. I'm not sure they can get back in there. But right now, I'd, I'd, I'd give them the benefit of the uh, doubt, too, because they've proven, as Phillips said over the years, that they can go win games when it matters. All right. I'm going to hit another call here, Pat, or what you want to do? Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, quick, quick, uh, quick phone call. Recruiting. Let's do the recruiting real quick. We'll do the recruiting real quick. We can do the recruiting real quick. We can hear from Coach Satterfield. I do want to play some of this Marcus Satterfield before we run out of time here with SC Wild coming up. Um, all right, let's go to another call, Tar Hizzle. Oh, Tar Hizzle, not too far from where Berge is in Sardis, and Tar Hizzle's in the PD. He doesn't claim a town. He claims an entire region. The entire area. Yeah. 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 Tar Hizzle, PD, what's going on? Just depends on the day. I might be in the upstate, low state. I might be in North Carolina. Who knows? But, you know, I was really excited to hear those those the, the, the statistics on Gonzaga football because I was about to really start comparing it to USC football, meaning South Carolina. Mm. But then you said they had 
a football player in the Hall of Fame, and I had to nix that because South Carolina doesn't have a Hall of Famer. So not yet, not yet. They might have one one day. I, you know, it's sad when you look through the state and realize that uh, Clemson nor South Carolina have a Hall of Famer in the NFL Hall of Fame. Only South but Carolina it, State but, does, I believe. But, but South Carolina State does. Yeah, they got like they got four. They got that, three, yeah. three right now. Three, and, and like I said, that, three of them. Hats off to them, man. Yeah, Buddy Pugh putting them out, man. But I, I will say this: I, I, I and, and yeah, I make no bones about it. I don't think North Carolina wins out. I will say Clemson better strap their helmet on because when North Carolina plays them in that ACC championship. They got enough offense. They better hope that defense comes to play because they can put points on the board. Tar Heels got no chance. Set. They got no chance. Oh, no, 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 no chance. chance. I'm no just chance. saying. No, no chance. They can definitely score with anybody in the country. I think they've proven that week in and week out, including Notre Dame, who they hung 42 on and still lost. But I, I will say this: How in the world is LSU sitting at 10 with a loss to Florida State and a loss to? Um, Tennessee. Florida in my head, but was it Florida or is it Tennessee that beat them? Tennessee. It was Tennessee. I mean, their best wins are Ole Miss. And they're 10th in the country? They, let's see, lose to Florida State, beat Southern, beat Mississippi State, beat New Mexico, beat Auburn close, lost big to Tennessee. They won at Florida. And they beat Ole Miss. And those in back-to-back weeks, they put 45 points on the board in both of those games. That's probably what's got the committee excited, and they like the way the head coach and the quarterback are meshing. Or do you think it's <laughs> whatever like the hell that they means? They need Alabama to play a top ten team. Duh. That's why. <laughs> that's what I said earlier. That's the frustrating thing about this. Yeah. You know, that's, it really does. It, it irritates me because I had somebody tell me the other night, "Well, ESPN doesn't make the picks." If you don't think the people paying up that's got the TV contracts ain't making that mm-hmm. a, a lean one way or the other, then you're kidding yourself. Absolutely. And that's a shame for the kids. I'll, I'll say it's a, I'll give, I, I, it's a shame for a TCU that's undefeated right now. I'll give you Clemson and two touchdowns against uh, – I'm sorry, I'll give you the Tar Heels and two touchdowns against Clemson. Not only will I take that, but I'll say this. I'll put $200 of my own money to go to the Wounded Warriors Fund if you actually beat me. Well, you are on. I like it. All right. Thank you, like buddy. That. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you, God Tar. God bless our soldiers and our troops, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, Tar Hizzle. Very, very big of you. Appreciate that. Uh, there are four Bulldogs in the Hall of Fame. Harry Carson, Deacon Jones, Marion Motley, and Donnie Shell, And, that's right, Brian Dawkins from Clemson's in the Hall of Fame. Thank you, uh, the bad boy of sports media Talk. So we have Alan Smothers so, reminding so us of that. So we have five five NFL Hall of Famers and one Heisman Trophy winner from South Carolina. It's not too bad for our. That state. is correct. And we do have some coaches who are in the uh, college coaches, the mm-hmm. college Hall of Fame. Danny Danny Ford uh, is in it. Um, Dick Sheridan is in it. Did Jim Carlin get in it? I'm trying to remember. There's somebody from South Carolina, I think, is in it. Spurrier? I think Frank Howard might be in it. Yeah, Spurrier. Yeah. All right, got to hit a break. Going to come back with Marcus Satterfield. Some don't think he'll be in the Hall of Fame one day, but we'll see. (laughs) Maybe he will. And recruiting. 
South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions plated for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at sccattle.org. Beef. It's what's for dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program. Life. It has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games. Sit from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's, where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer with DNR, and coming up tonight at 7.30, another edition of SC Wild on the Sports Talk Radio Network. Your home is where your memories live. It's where you laugh and where you love. We understand the importance of the valuables under your roof, tangible and intangible alike. So no matter what's around the corner, we'll be there, offering you and your family the support that's made Farm Bureau Insurance a trusted name for nearly 70 years. You deserve more. You deserve a promise. Learn more at scfbins.com. Call me, Alex Satterfield, at 803-749-9171 for all of your Midlands insurance needs. In Columbia, South Carolina, game days are our specialty. Whether you're watching the game from inside the stadium or from the big screen at your favorite local spot, the energy remains the same. Craft the perfect fall Saturday in a city where there is plenty of action on and off the field. From tubing and kayaking to Soda City to rooftop restaurants and plenty barbecue. We're ready when you are. Plan your weekend at experiencecolumbiasc.com. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. All right, some quick recruiting notes, and then some Marcus Satterfield. Recruiting brought to you by Sea Wells. Reminder about the daily luncheon buffet coming your way tomorrow. 
11 to 2. Make sure you get over to Sea Wells. If not tomorrow, get over there Friday. If not either one of those days, someday next week, you will not be disappointed. If you live in Columbia, you're visiting Columbia, it is worth your while to make the trip over to Rosewood Drive, 1125 Rosewood Drive. Put that in your uh, GPS, 1125 Rosewood Drive. Take you right to it. And, of course, the very best in the catering business, Sea Wells as well. You have a catering request, 803-771-7385 is the number. Tight end Luke Chilton, 67240 of Fredericksburg, Virginia, continues to talk with USC once a week. Hearing from tight ends coach Jody Wright, he's thinking an offer might be coming his way, but he's not sure if it would be a preferred walk-on or a full scholarship. But they are talking. He made his first visit to USC last month when the Gamecocks defeated Texas A&M, arrived in the afternoon and walked around and took everything in, loved the uh, environment, Thought the facilities were great. Loved how the fans reacted after touchdowns. Likes how they used the, the tight ends in their offense. So he said it was a good experience. He is limited on visits because he plays on Saturdays. He's also been at Virginia Tech, VMI, and Towson. He wants to visit William & Mary and Temple, plus Duke and Air Force have expressed interest. USC today offered 2023 offensive tackle Keyshawn Blackstock. 65315 of Coffeyville Junior College, Kansas, and Covington, Georgia. Wren safety Travon West on Sunday committed to Wake Forest. Basketball, Texas coach Chris Beard was at Lexington today to visit 2024-65 Cam Scott. 2027 ba- uh, baseball, 2027, 2027. First baseman outfielder left-hander <laughs> Griffin McCain of Fort Mill committed to USC. 2027. Eighth grader. What, 11? Yeah. Eighth grader. So, wow. In the eighth grade, you know, I was thinking about other things besides where I was going to college. <laughs> I was looking for any girl that might look back at me, as I recall. I had uh, not a very pretty face, braces, and glasses. So, I wasn't getting a lot of looks back back in the eighth grade. Good luck to this young man. I've seen his picture. He's, you know, he's, he looks like a baseball player, to be honest with you, in the eighth grade. Okay. That'll do it for recruiting. Here is uh, USC offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield bring you some of this as he's been in the, the, the conversation a lot this week, and he met with the media today and took questions. What were your just general thoughts on how things went on Saturday just across the board? Uh, it was very disappointing, uh, just the, uh, the production, the execution, uh, everything. Like, uh, I thought we had a really good week of practice. I thought our guys were ready to go, and we just we never could get going. Couldn't, couldn't get a first down to stay on the field. Say you mentioned having a good week of practice and it didn't translate. Where, as you kind of look back on it, where was the disconnect from a good week of practice to not really translating on the field? Uh, that's a great question. I wish I wish I knew that. Uh, it's what we're you know we're, we continue each each week each month uh, as a coach that you try to find like how can you make sure that your guys stay consistent. Uh, you know you always worry about that after you have a couple weeks of success of making sure that everybody keeps that edge about them, uh, the strain about them, and I thought that our guys did. It just it didn't show up on Saturday. Sad a lot of the guys were in here yesterday saying that it seemed like Missouri knew what was coming, specifically later in the game. They'd raise their hands if it was a pass play for whatever, or for, in that instance. Mm-hmm. Going back to look at the tape, could you find ways where you guys were tipping what was coming? Um, I think that they did a really nice job of scouting us. I think they, they did a really nice job of uh, – of, of watching us on the sideline and, and gathering tendencies. Uh, you always worry about it, you know, uh, for years now. It's kind of been a trend on defense. The D-linemen can see the, 
you know, how much weight is on the on the hand of the offensive lineman. You'll see, you know, all kinds of people in our conference throw their hands up to alert pass, and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, and sometimes it's tendencies of, uh, you know, demeanor of offensive linemen, quarterbacks, running backs. So, you know, we've done a really real deep dive starting on Sunday night. Zeb and those guys did a really nice job of finding some things that, uh, you know, we need to make sure we're changing up so we aren't giving, you know, tips to other teams. Yeah, Coach, uh, Shane obviously was talking about the different uh, personnel packages and how difficult it is to, I guess, you know, include certain players in certain plays. Can you talk some about what challenges that might present trying to get, uh, you know, certain players the ball on certain plays or even getting certain players on the field just in different uh, just in different <clears throat> setups? Yeah, you try to have a feel for how the game's going to go and how you're going to play the game, and then you want to maximize the personnel and who's out there. Obviously, you have certain personnel groups, certain formations, that, you know, for different parts and segments of the field. Uh, different down and distances, and uh, you know sometimes you're you're right on, and sometimes you're not. You know we got caught this past week. We had four possessions in the first half. We had you know three and out or five and out, three and out, three and out, and then a 16 play drive. So the 16 play drive was a lot of two minute tempo stuff. So you go into halftime and you've not even you haven't even you've done nothing from a game plan standpoint of setting up anything. You can't stay out there long enough. So uh, we didn't get to a lot of the plays that we had practiced all week. Uh, which could be good or bad because now we can carry them over and you know work them this week. I'm sure coming out of any game, there are probably some things you'd like to have back or changes you wish you could have done. Whatever is there anything that specifically when when you look back at Saturday that that you thought could have been better? Um, obviously, yeah. I mean, there's you know, you'd love to hit. A, if I had a pause and rewind button on every play, I'd like to do certain things different on most of them. So, uh, you know, I think we just gotta. If you watch the first half, it's a block here, um, a decision here, a call here. Uh, you know, it just it was one of those days where things were not trending uh, in our direction, at least offensively. Uh, I would, you know, the one thing I would, just going back and looking at the game, I think that with 11 minutes, 12 minutes, like we were already in what we would call rally mode because we were two touchdowns down, so we were having to play fast and try to get chunks and try to save timeouts and try to score. Uh, I would li- I probably, if I had a do-over, would go back and just play that as a true possession of just take If it takes eight minutes, it takes eight minutes, but just go get a touchdown, run your offense. So I probably got to rally a little bit too early. Uh, that would probably be the one thing that I'd look at. Mark, Shane told us yesterday that he had a conversation with Jaheim about his playing time and told him that he should be on the field more. Have you also had a conversation with Jaheim? And if so, uh, what was that like? It's funny. like uh, Not funny, but it is kind of funny that – like Jaheim and I, like he's one of my favorite players on the team. Like there's not a morning I don't walk by him and we hug. Like, yeah, I want him to get on the field. I want him to, you know, touch the ball a lot. Obviously, the other day, a certain his his certain packages and stuff. Like we were talking about going into the rally mode, he wasn't in those packages, and I should have just slowed down, stopped, realized, got him on the field, and I uh, gave him a chance to get some balls. But you know, just he's going to have chances every game. It's just whether the ball gets to him or not. All right, Marcus Satterfield, uh, all of it from today and all of what uh, Clayton White had to say up on our website, sportstalksc.com. You can check it out there. Chris, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow at Coastal. I do as well. Should be fun. Blackout tomorrow night, sold-out crowd. It's always fun when Coastal and App play. Should be a great ball game tomorrow night. Yeah, um, big opportunity for Coastal to kind of reestablish itself. And put a stranglehold on the division. In in the national conversation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. look forward to seeing you. Uh, Stay tuned, everybody. SC Wild is coming up next after the break right here on Sports Talk.
Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SC Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. And it is time to welcome in the Major from the Department of Natural Resources, Major Billy Downer, another edition of Essie Wild on Sports Talk. Good evening, Major. How are you? Uh, doing great. Always a pleasure to be a part of the show tonight with you, Phil. Um, things have gotten warmer around the state, so we're back to sweating again. It's white mosquitoes. Like <laughs> <I'm sweating. laughs> All right, let me put our phone I mean, number you know, out there. Let me let me put the phone number out there if you have a question or comment for the Major rega- regarding uh, anything in the outdoors question or comment about anything with dnr dealing with dnr dealing with dnr agents dnr policy uh dnr this dnr that uh triple eight eight nine eight two five two five is how you can reach us tonight go ahead sir all right so you know we we ended the show last time we had a really good show with charles Ruth following up on deer talking about uh, scoring uh and antlers and just with things happening right now where you know it got cold the last few weeks a lot of big deer are being seen, a lot of big deer being taken. So it's kind of nice to have a show about scoring a little bit, teaching them folks a little bit about what it takes to get a quality uh, white-tailed buck and what that means. Mm-hmm. I even learned some stuff. I, I didn't realize how much the uh, t- you know, your beam length matters, and that was a big one for me. And I've helped score a bunch and just didn't realize that. So that was a, a neat show last time. And following up the day a little bit uh, with something I spent – uh, I, I've been in conversations with the last, um, it seems like last two weeks with folks talking about deer season. And uh, so if we're talking about it, that means probably most everybody else is talking about it too. But we, we've done this before on the show, but just talking about rifles, ammunition, cartridges, you know, and what's the best deer rifle out there. Mm-hmm. So you, you start that conversation, you're liable to get, you know, opinions from all over the, the map uh, because it really is it's to each his own. You know, I remember when I was growing up, the 270 was the best thing. Everybody thought 270 was great. And then all of a sudden, the 270 uh, Winchester short mag came out. That became the new hot thing. And now, the hot thing is the 65 Creedmoor. Now, you got lots of folks that like to joke about that and uh, talk about a little, the, uh, the secret 65 handshake, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I will say this I have fought the 65, the 65 trend for the last couple of years. Uh, I had hunted with a 7mm 08, which is a 308 cartridge, uh, necked up to 7mm round in it. Um, been a really good cartridge. We've had that used for youth hunts a lot. We, we found that to be a lot better than 243 for leaving a good blood trail to be able to find your your, um, your deer. And, you know, when you start talking about ammunition and rifles and, and what you want to hunt deer with, you know, on private land, there's not a whole lot of friction on what you can hunt deer with on private land. Um, but... You know, you want to shoot a deer with something that's going to take it down quickly and without any uh, suffering to the animal. And you want to be able to get the animal quickly so you can get it to the processor so you can get to your meat. Uh, particularly when it's hot like this, you want to get that deer off the ground and into the processor as much as you can. Uh, colder weather helps us a little bit, gives us more time, we can relax. We start talking about rifle rounds and you get into the calibers and things, um, millimeters, whatever. Um, you know, you start off in that 243 is kind of on the lower end of things. 223, Phil, for those that don't know that, the 223 round is what 
uh, most of your M4 car, your, your uh, what people would call it M16, would shoot us a two, two, three round. A lot of uh, been a lot of energy in that in the last 10, 15 years. Folks wanting with uh, Palmetto State Army and others making these uh, M4 platform rifles, a semi-automatic and a two, two, three, or what's called a five, five, six NATO round. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, 223, the lower end, you start going up to 243, you go from 243 to, you know, it's 270, and you get into the 6-millimeter range, uh, and that 243 to 270, that 6-millimeter in the middle there. And the 6.5 has been a big deal. It's called 6.5 Creedmoor, and it's a really long bullet, so it has a lot of kinetic energy in that bullet, which helps it fly straighter and tends to be a really nice flat-shooting bullet. Or at least it gives folks the, the, the feeling that they can shoot longer shots, uh, not a lot of recoil. But traditionally, over time, you talk about rifles and cartridges, you go back to 30 all 6 has been around for a long time, um, uh, over you know 100 years, I think. And, and that's just a tremendously popular round, great sporting round still today. A lot of kick in it. <laughs> it's going to hit your shoulder pretty hard. Uh, folks don't want to sit there and shoot a 30 all six all day, generally sighting it in. They want to get it done. Um, the seven millimeter uh, is also a, a, a very a hefty round um, for going to take elk and things like that. Uh, you know, 308, popular round. Um, 3030 has been around for a long time. It's also a 30, a 30 uh, caliber round, uh, but typically a closer in shot. Um, the folks, most folks might remember the old 30-30. The Marlin 30-30 is a lever action. It's like the old West gun. Um, but, again, just a lot of different calibers out there. You can go all over the place. But one of the things people want to get into, and we talked about some on shows in the past, is long-range shooting. And we're seeing that at our ranges. Of course, DNR has you know four public rifle ranges that we man across the state, and we've got um, another range down at Tlachicola that, we, that is not manned. Uh, that's open to the public, and then one at Belfast that's not manned. Uh, but the four man ranges we have, one at, uh, at Pickens, this is our oldest, the Spartanburg of the James O. Thomason range in Spartanburg County, and then, you know, Watery Range here we built recently uh, here in Richland County, or in, in uh, Lower Richland. And then we have the uh, Twin Ponds range, which we did in conjunction with the U.S. Forest Service down in Allendale in upper Charleston County. Um, so, those are, are ranges that are typically a 100-yard range. I mean, most people want to go sight a rifle in. They're going to sight a rifle in at about 100 yards. That's what they – most folks, you go to the store today, I, I, I will say this. I'm going to admit to the public that's listening, yes, Billy Downer has succumbed to the 6.5. Hmm. Uh, I went and finally decided that I was going to buy a 6.5 Creedmoor because I've heard so much about it. And I do shoot in a long field, and I said, you know what? I've been fighting this for a couple of years. I'm going to finally get one. So I chose to get a 6.5. I went out and I researched a little bit. And my neighbor has a um, a Browning uh, rifle, which is an X-Bolt in what's called the Hell's Canyon. And uh, he bought that a couple of years ago, and I helped him sight it in. It was so easy to sight in. We, we did it in three or four shots. And uh, every year when he comes over here and we shoot the rifle in my range, it, it's – it's so easy and so it, it, it basically what they call a tack driver. It will put, you know, two shots inside a uh, dime. Easy. Um, or three shots, whatever. 
which is pretty good. Uh, but at a hundred yards, you sight when you go buy a rifle like today, they bore sight the rifle. They put a device in the end of your uh, barrel, and they take your scope. You put on the rifle, and they're going to sight it and adjust the scope to the bore sight based on your caliber at a hundred yards. And you go take that, and basically that gets you on the paper at a range if you're starting to, to sight your rifle in. It gets you close. Typically, folks start off at 50 yards and then back up from there. But today, as I was talking about our ranges, most all of our ranges are 100-yard ranges. Mm-hmm. We have one particular range in Spartanburg, James O. Thomas range. Because of it where it is and its location with a mountain in the background or a hill in the background, we have a 200-yard range there, which is very popular. But folks want to go out and shoot 300, 400, 500, even 1,000 yards. And it's just hard to find a location where you can safely shoot that far. Uh, I know there's one range that Palmetto State Army took over here in Swansea, I think. It's a thousand yard range. Uh, but it's just so hard to find a place where you can shoot wide open because we don't have, it's not like out west, we don't have wide open country. So it's hard sometimes to find an area that you can safely shoot a thousand yards and contain the bullets. When I say contain the bullets, you don't want a bullet to leave your range. Uh, so as DNR, we, we've just been very, very, and folks ask us all the time, why can't you, why don't we have longer ranges? Well, it's hard to place a range for us uh, where you can contain bullets if you start getting out of 100 yards. You go to 200 yards or 300 yards, you've really got to do some different measurement. There's different things you have to do to make sure that bullet stays in the range, and it's very important to us that it does that because uh, you don't want bullets flinging out somewhere else and uh, pinging on a car or side of a house. That would be a terrible thing. Um, and oftentimes we get calls at our office, uh, and folks, you know, need to notice that in our state, range laws, you know, our, our range laws are very open. Uh, it's basically, it's basically other than a law that's on the books that says you have to, you know, you can't, uh, you got to mark your range for noise and things. There's very little restrictions on ranges, so folks can go shoot in their backyard. It's basically determined by the counties and county code. And uh, a lot of times it's in building code in the counties, how they regulate where folks can shoot and how you shoot in, a, in your county. So a lot of folks don't understand that. DNR is not over ranges and range construction for the whole state for anybody. We just maintain some public ranges that we create with our Pittman Robertson and wildlife restoration funds. Uh, so that's where we're into the range business is the range that we we have a mission to try to create some public shooting opportunity where we can. Um, that's what we've done in Watery Range here at Twin Ponds, maintaining Pickens and maintaining the uh, James O. Thomas Range in Spartanburg. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of pieces in that, but long range shooting. We've talked about that in the past, but just um, when you're trying to take a, a, a long range shot, and long range to me, in definition, is that two, three, four hundred yard shot. Some folks, long range is a thousand yards. They want to get out there. Uh, most deer in this state aren't shot at a thousand yards. They're going to be shot in that 400 yard, uh, the three to 400 yard range. And that's pretty long range for most folks. And generally, a good scope and a good rifle can reach that. Um, and you start talking about scopes when you talk about a rifle and, and, and rifles. It, one rule of thumb I've learned in a long, uh, long hard time of 25 30 years of doing of shooting rifles you're going to spend at least twice as much on a good scope as you do on your rifle <laughs> and that's hard to believe hmm. but a good rifle today for instance uh, the, the browning 
a Hell's Canyon rifle or a good Browning rifle uh, Expo is going to be around twelve hundred dollars. You can buy a Magar for around seven hundred fifty dollars. Uh, it's a decent rifle. You can buy a Tika out there. Everybody's familiar with Tika. Uh, Remington uh, still makes a decent rifle, not as solid as it used to be. Uh, they're in the seven fifty eight hundred dollars range. Um, and then there's, you know, of course, the Jarrett rifles uh, with Kenny Jarrett and Jay Jarrett uh, down in Jackson, South Carolina. They're in the three, four, five, six, ten thousand plus range. Um, that are definitely long distance rifles that they hand make. Um, and are precision out to a thousand yards, uh, or you know, they just are built. They build a long range rifle, but general rifles like that, you're Browning off the shelf from your local um, hardware store, or sportsman's warehouse, or what have you, wherever you go to buy a rifle. Getting a good scope, you know, basic scope for Leopold. You're talking about a Leopold uh, basic bottom line scope is going to be three four hundred dollars now. Hmm. Um, you get up to twelve hundred, to twenty five hundred, to thirty five hundred for a good scope, <laughs> and it can get crazy. And then there's scopes now that are the ATN scopes around eight nine hundred dollars, and it has a video component. It'll video what you're doing to your phone and actually show infrared. Uh, there's a lot of question about that, folks. Is that legal? What well, is legal as long as you're shooting during legal shooting time? The limit on shooting is you have to shoot between an hour before sunrise to an hour after sunset that's what daytime is considered we've talked about that numerous times on the show mm-hmm. uh, so those those pieces um in scopes when you're shooting long distance you know a solid rest able to secure that rifle not move around a bunch sandbags uh, and folks don't just generally carry sandbags to the to a stand with them but a lot of folks are getting serious now about deer hunting in big fields and they create a good rest, a good comfortable seat. Uh, a lot of folks take an old office chair and throw in a stand and build a nice big tower and put an office chair in so they can relax and spin around. And they're going to build a nice rest out of two by six or something and have a solid rest, put a sandbag there or a shooting bag where they can secure that rifle uh, to not have a lot of movement. That's key. Past that, good scope, sighted in. And a scope is it's able to give you the ability to see out far enough to make that shot and to have the adjustments. So those are all, all, all big pieces. You know, Swarovski's a big, a big scope dealer. That they're, you know, bottom line scope is $1,000, and then it goes up 2500 and up from there. Um, so it's just so much out there. Miata, they're in the five, six, $700 range up to $1,200 plus, $1,400. Really good scopes there. And then Zeiss, another German scope, uh, just very good optics there. And it's all about glass and your optics and what you can see. So many different things when you start getting long distance. And then there's the component of how late you want to sit. sit. Mm-hmm. And I had a co- got in a conversation this week about that. Just when you're buying a rifle and a scope, so many times folks can sit so most people always are paying attention when we talk about sunsets. You want to know when sunset is. Well, the official sunset is not dark. You generally have about 30 more minutes after sunset before it starts to get to the twilight type of light. Any scope you buy, pretty much any scope you buy, can see from sunset to that 30 minutes after. These higher line scopes, these more, your, your Swarovski with really good glass, your Miata's, um, your upper level Leopold 
um, you know, when you get to that thousand dollar scope and beyond, is what it takes to be able to see those next 15, 20, 30 minutes until legal, you know, until it, it's not legal shooting when it's stop. But that last, if those, those extra 15, 20 minutes can mean the difference between shooting a really nice buck and not seeing them at all. Mm. And people have found that out because, as we've talked about many times on the show as well, these big deer don't get big because they come out whenever they want to. Hmm. They're very smart. They wait till late until we got a, unless you have a rut, like we've talked about in the last two weeks has been kind of a rut. Might get a little bit cold snap here the first of November, be another little rut hit here, get hit a little bit. You know, bucks will be stupid twice, pretty much all year. <laughs> Come out in the daytime, pretty much twice being stupid. Hmm. But if you have a really good scope and you can sit after that official sunset for that extra 15, 20 minutes of legal time to shoot, that's when you can catch that buck coming out when he doesn't think you're there. And those are what people focus on with these rifles um, and trying to get, you know, get that quality scope um, that can let them see further, see longer, and then also shoot further. Because the further you shoot, the farther you are away, and the less likely that buck is going to smell you. Because their sense of smell and their sense of sight are incredible. All right, let me jump so, in. Let me jump in, Major. We have a caller for you. Has a question along the lines of what you're talking about, but also along the lines of safety in using sure. the rifles and in hunting and things like that. I know that's something near and dear to your heart, but along the lines of what you're talking about, Absolutely. we go back to our buddy who called in earlier tonight on Sports Talk from the PD, Tar Hizzle, who is himself a great uh, game hunter and a great outdoorsman. Tar Hizzle. Hey guys, good 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 afternoon, Major. You know, I, I hearing all this and, and the talking and everything. We we on our property down in Florence County, we've kind of changed over and do more bow hunting, but we do still have folks to come out and we you know put them in the stands and, and let them rifle hunt. And you talk about you know out west where you can really reach out and shoot and this and that. You know, I've watched South Carolina, Florence County, especially diminish that ability in that area that we really had to hunt and houses being put up in, in great areas where we saw big deer back in the day. And I just want to remind all our hunters out there, especially that have kids that are going out there and putting them in a stand, and they're shooting a 7-millimeter Magnum, or they're shooting a 300, or they're shooting these 308s that are so flat and can go so far. Remember where you're at. Remember what's out there. Remember where a cut down comes in, and you don't have them trees to stop you from that house that sits 500 yards away from what you're shooting at. Be aware of shooting down. Be aware of what you're shooting at. Just the other day, in my, I got a place in Fairfield County, too. I was sitting and had a lady and a man walk by my stand within 30 yards. They had no clue it was hunting season. And literally, if I'd have shot, I mean, God, hopefully I would have never been in their direction. I would have identified what I was looking at. But it was dangerous. You know, I immediately got out of the stand and walked over to them and let them know it's hunting season. I don't know if you know that or not. Not only did you could you have messed me up, but you could have got hurt, and I would have been devastated if something would have happened, not knowing you were on that road that you don't belong on, that ain't your property. But just please be careful. Shoot down. Know what you're shooting at. If it's late twilight and you can't really identify what you're shooting at, hold off. They'll come back. If you feed them and you get water to them, they'll come back. You'll get another chance. But just be safe first and foremost. And I know we have a lot of accidents that way in South Carolina and 
I couldn't imagine hunting after something like that. So please be aware of what you're shooting at and what's behind your field or your land that could be a house or could be a playground. Make sure what you're looking at. And we got so many great ways to GPS what's around us. Take a look at it whenever you're in your stand. Those are all excellent points. I appreciate you bringing that up. We've said that so many times in the show. Know your target and what lies beyond it and what lies beyond it and in front of it. Because so many times when you get focused on that, whatever you're shooting at, you don't think about what's beyond it. And he's right. That's what I talk about. So many, there's so few areas in this state you can shoot far because of housing developments come up. No doubt he's right. But in, in, in another point he made, which is a good one to remind folks, is just because you think you're the only person on your property and you're in the middle of 300, 400 acres or 1,000 acres, and there's no way somebody could be in here. That's not always the case. Always identify what you're shooting. And if it's late, particularly in those twilight times, and you can't properly identify what's there, you don't shoot at a blob ever. So don't ever think that when we're talking about these, these good scopes and things that, that we're trying to promote somebody shooting a blob, never. But if you can properly identify your target and you know what's beyond it and you're elevated from the elevated position, you got ground to back you up, those are how you make safe shots. And he's exactly right. Uh, we, we fortunately don't have a whole lot of accidents where that happens. But sometimes we do where people misidentify and shoot at other people thinking they're a deer. And that is never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it can always be prevented. So one want to remind folks, as he said, very important, always identify your target. Know what you're shooting. Know the identifying features of your game. What lies in front of and beyond your target. Because once you pull the trigger... You can never pull that shot back. Yeah. A bullet has no uh, recall. Once once it's gone, they ain't calling it back, right? You're not going to be able to pull it back. That's right. But, but, you know, so many times people have – people are unaware that they move here or whatever, and they walk on property things and walk anywhere they want. And they'll be trespassing, and they're wrong for trespassing. Let's be clear. However, that doesn't mean you can shoot them. Hmm. or that you would want to shoot them. So, you know, it's just one of those things you've got to be aware all the time and be thinking, you know, could, is that a deer? Make sure it's a deer, you know. Again, because the later it gets, the harder it gets to identify. And that's what we're talking about. You know, people will shoot at just a brown blob, and that's not ever a good idea. And we're never, pro- we're never promoting that by any means. We are talking about using quality options and things so you can get good sites and you can really properly identify something, you know, past that normal time when you, if you get a regular scope, you know, there are quality optics out there to allow you to see a little bit longer. But again, you always want to make sure you identify that target um, so that you know it's the deer you're shooting at. So those are all good points. I appreciate him weighing in on that and remind mm-hmm. us of that because those are, those are excellent things to remember. Uh, and as we close the show tonight, um, certainly would not want to remind, you know, wouldn't would be remiss if not reminding that of folks. So that's a good thing to close tonight with is make sure, you know, if you get a good optic, you get a good rifle, it can take a, a, a long shot. Um, just make sure you know your property. And if somebody builds a house, you know what? Don't put your stand where you're shooting toward it. Yeah. Those are just easy decisions you can make. But people make this mistake all the time, and it's not against the law. I'm really mad at my um, neighbors for having deer stands all around my house, and they're all pointing towards me. I don't get that. <laughs> That's not a good idea. That's correct. Um, I'd rather have that stand close to me shooting away from my house than right there I think they're shooting, shooting in the back shooting toward my house. I think they're yeah. shooting at me. Well, I have no comment to that, Phil. I don't know. <laughs> 
You uh, get kind of sassy sometimes, you know. Anyway. I know. I know. Major, uh, we're down to our last 30 seconds. Any final thoughts? No, again, just reminding folks, again, you know, be safe out there. Enjoy this hunting season. It's a great time. So hopefully some cool weather come around as we approach Thanksgiving. We'll talk about waterfowl season next show. Yep. You can get into that. But, again, um, be safe, be seen. Make sure you're walking back from your stand. Use a flashlight so others can identify that you're a person walking. Great stuff, Major. As always, a pleasure being with you. You have a great couple of weeks. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Yes, sir. Thank you. There he goes, the Major, Billy Downer, out into his woods, SC Wild from DNR. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow night. (laughs) 